0: Hello everyone, watching and listening. Good afternoon from New Delhi, this time India. And welcome back to the Free Radical Podcast, episode number 15. This is your host, Swami Patmanava. And I'm here today in the company of a kindred spirit and companion, deep close companion in this bhakti pilgrimage, uh, Krishna Chandra Prabhu. So, Krishna Chandra, thank you so much for joining Thank you. Wonderful. <laughs> so I'll share a few words on Krishna Chandra Prabhu's and brief bio that I'd like to share to introduce him to all of you. And then we will continue unpacking our conversation. So Krishna Chandra was born in 1970 in Switzerland. After becoming very politically involved, forming his own students' union schools and initiating his own newspaper, he got the inner call for a monastic life in an ashram in 1990, at 19 years old. He is the initiator of the contemplative ashram, Anandadham in the mountains of Switzerland, where they have introduced silence as a crucial aspect of their daily practice. Krishna Chandra also conducts pilgrimage tours to India and has been also written hundreds of articles and almost 10 books focusing on the fine-tuning of bhakti yoga. So, before I forget, I'd like to share contact info of Krishna Chandra Prabhu and his project, Anandadham. Here you can see the website. is ananda-dham, without the A at the end, dham.com. Ananda-dham.com So... In my personal case, in, rela- in relation to my own personal experience with Krishna Chandra Prabhu, interestingly, I, I, I will say that our first communication, I don't know if Krishna Chandra Prabhu remembers, but once Krishna Chandra Prabhu wrote to me an email uh, addre- addressing me as Padmanabha Swami, which is my name, but confusing me with another Padmanala Swami. <laughs> so he <laughs> thought there was another Padmanala Swami who is a proper disciple who accepted sannyas from Sila and Maharaj. So it was interesting because that was not, his official intention was not to write to the Padman is talking here, but somehow the both of us took this as a providential arrangement. And that ended eventually in him inviting me very generously to his ashram, Anandadham in the Alps in Switzerland, where I went last year for the first time. Uh, and after a few minutes after minute meeting with him in person last year, I will say that immediately where there was a very natural, organic connection uh, of mutual interests uh, and how to embrace bhakti from certain perspective, uh, acknowledging uh, the esoteric deep side of the tradition, but also the breadth of the tradition, the common sense in how to approach the tradition, as well as the openness to be inspired by other traditions, but other disciplines as well, so it was a very quick connection, and and now personally, I've just I'm just coming almost from my second visit to Ananda Dam a few weeks ago, uh, already planning my third one next year with Christian Chandra among other activities. So here we are today having this conversation, and as you know, our free radical podcast considerably revolves around the notion and the contents of my recent book on radical personalism. So Christian Chandra I always love to invite my guests to share a few words and what does the term radical personalism mean to you? If you can enlighten us a little bit.
1: Thank you, Maharaj. I'm just coming out of a week of silence. So these are practically my first words. And thank you to meet you in this strange media, uh, through a screen. Mm. like, you know, some connection, but also some separation it awokes in the heart. But I'm very thankful also, just before I answer your question, to that I have met you and that there are out there in the world devotees who reflect deeply and have the courage to... Um, for non-conformity, who have the courage to really go their own path. And when I met you and we, when we sat together, we had the feeling to become really truth to Goranga and Radha and Krishna. Um, we cannot just be enca- engaged in some traditional way, but it needs something, and I really felt just seeing you at the airport, embracing you really to have met a a heart brother. And this doesn't mean that one has, have years and years together, but it's mostly being connected through a sadhya, through a, Mm. and through a vision of bhakti. So this was very precious to me. Thank you very much, Maharaj. So, regarding your question, radical personalism, what a word. (laughs) I think... an idea which we get through the Bhagavatam is that everything in the creation is personal so and this obstructs ourselves extremely from the tendency to depersonalize and exploit any other thing and being we know in the christian tradition this extreme far away monotheism had the effect that actually nature and everything in this world became depersonalized Hmm. and so When this process was like perfected, this was the beginning of industrial revolution. Now we can Mm -hmm. just extremely, in extreme (coughs) way, exploit this nature. So this is everything is a being, is a person. And this means also in everything there is an own intention and lastly mostly because the origin of everything is personal and this means his intention is all pervading in this world mm-hmm. and any so and to become radical personal also means not just that i enter his creation with my way of dealing but slowly slowly to be able to answer the intention of Thakurji, of the Lord, Mm -hmm. which has the last intention. And it's a very interesting word that always fascinated me is this Latin word absurdus. Mm -hmm. Absurd. Which means, surdus means death. You don't Mm. hear. And up is a A syllable that makes it more strong. So absurdus, absurd means completely death. You don't hear anything. So I'm completely death towards the intention and the calling of the Lord. Hmm. So this is then everything becomes absurd in this world. So, but what is the opposite of absurdus? is responsabilitas responsibility this means Mm. to respond Mm -hmm. to ultimate intention that is in everything so this Mm. makes this word and terminology radical personalism like a a title for the whole project of spiritual life that we have for the rest of eternity Mm -hmm. a little thought on that
0: yeah perfect beautiful thanks so much Krishna Chandra uh, uh I, I actually I was not aware of the absurdus connection that's incredible I really appreciate that contribution uh, I used in my word the word responsibility I try <clears throat> every time I use the word responsibility in my in my book I try to divide it with a hyphen responsibility. because again I, I I first it's so so much important that we like redeem because responsibility is such an important word but as, as it's is, is, is important as long as it is properly understood. So, mm-hmm. so, so I think we need to redeem that that crucial meaning of both what is resp- to be to have ability to respond to to our environment and what's the opposite of that. So, thank you for further expanding my own uh, limits or boundaries about what's radical personalism. Because although we may have we may be having attempting to to have the broadest possible and deepest possible conception of the term, there may be always some limitation implied and by hearing definitions like yours, it's always, it keeps expanding, ongoing. So thank you for that. Maybe we uh, know,
1: we know that like in worldviews that have ultimately no personalism involved like mechanism or monism then actually it's a certain kind of um, deep sadness, like a depression. Mm. I'm like lonely here and the only meaning that is existing is not an intention that I can respond to, but I Mm. have to make and produce a known meaning in a vast empty ocean of nothingness. So actually, this Mm -hmm. is a very deep, um, it's actually a sad thing. When we take personalism out of the view, then you cannot respond on something. There is no intention. Then this means I have to create everything. It's like something quite sad and depressing. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And it's such a burden trying to be. Creating something that already exists, but we are denying that it exists, so we have to constantly be making up some type of purpose to move forward, to go on somehow or other. Where there is so much purpose already, as you say, embedded in every atom in creation, in every being. So, why not discovering that? Yeah, yeah, thank you.
1: Very interesting so, what you say, Raj. <laughs> because Krishna says in Gita, hmm.
0: um,
1: if you Have to create something, even a meaning of everything. This is really Mm. rajas. Mm. But you want to harmonize with a thing that is already existing, then you already have a sattvic basic. Mm -hmm.
0: So I want to Mm -hmm.
1: harmonize with uh, intention existing everywhere. So sorry, we just continue.
0: Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And even if it's sattva, and so I may say our goal is not sattva, but even that sattva is such an ideal takeoff platform to to orient our journey, like from the idea of I don't need to be imposing, so to say, my own creation into the environment of purpose and meaning, but just to mine, to unearth (laughs) the ultimate purpose, to extract the ultimate purpose from every atom, potentially. So that's way more. Not only relieving, but exciting adventure, basically. Mm. So yeah. when, I was, when I was in
1: university, you mm. know the, the, the really the deep thing I learned is was one uh, during a lecture, one student from the previous class, he just ran in because he forgot something and mm. took it and ran out again. And the professor became very silent and smiled and said, this was colonialism. Mm. You like project your own intention on something completely different. So this was mm. a, a deep mm. thing. And, you know, if I have to put my own intention on a, on a reality, this is a certain kind of colonialism also.
0: Mm. Mm. Thank you for that. I mean, it's easy to criticize colonialism, but it's not so easy to detect all the layers of colonialism and how we behave on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this idea that the reality has an intention already. Yeah, thank you for that (laughs) one-liner. I may stop the podcast here and just remain thinking of that line. Reality has an intention. (laughs) Thank you so much. So anyhow, after this uh, warming up, I mean now you are witnessing which are which are our exchanges with Krishna Chandra Prabhu although some of you are witnessing our conversation live this is the normal conversation we have had when we met first and we were like in a train for a few hours when we returned from the mountains a few days ago in the train again for a few hours it's just from one topic to another in a very natural way being carried by the waves of hopefully honest inquiry and conversation so that 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 is that today's conversation will not be an exception to that rule. So hopefully you can feel it as informal (laughs) as possible. And that said, we have a title for today's lecture, Uh, not lecture, but conversation, uh, which is the beauty of nonconformity. And we chose this title, I will say in consideration of the nature of both and the things that we share in common and the importance of, that we consider to think outside of the box Uh, to be very careful of not labeling other people, of not submitting blindly to forms of conformity in the name of surrender, to try to be honest about not living in lie in the name of spirituality, and so many other things that hopefully will come out today in our conversation. And this particular title is in connection with one, as usual, one of the different radicals that appear in the second part of the manifesto, Radical Personalism, part two of the book, and in this case, it will be the radical called radical freedom. So today we will not only be talking about non-conformity, but in that connection about freedom. So I will share a few lines, the corresponding few lines, which happen to be in page 129 from the book. And, uh, and then we will proceed to unfold, flesh out whatever wants to be manifest. It says, shame, guilt, and fear are not the way to conceive of and relate to reality, especially to the ultimate reality, the sweet absolute. Ours is a positive oriented tradition and we adore a loving and most merciful God. Although most Godias know this in theory, we still need to actualize our own potential by the way we embody each of these core values. We call this radical freedom. Mm-hmm. Wow. So in this, in connection to this section is that we have been inspired today to also name our conversation, The Beauty of Nonconformity. Mm-hmm. So Krishna Chandra Prabhu, I don't know if you have any uh, thoughts that you may like to share in connection to what we have just read or anything that comes to your mind in, in relation to radical freedom, the beauty of nonconformity and so on.
1: Maharaj, right, thank you. Just these few lines are uh, very precious.
0: <clears throat>
1: and it's quite interesting that in our tradition, there is a lot of emphasis on Anugatya, on like following and you have to, to be in line and you have to, following the footsteps and things like this. But if this aspect is not going completely together with radical freedom, like the deepest choice, then it's something like expected love. And it becomes something very strange. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, in the whole tradition, I have seen much more lectures about the need of following, of to be a follower than the need of to be an extreme free entity. Mm -hmm. So this is not so much emphasized. Mm -hmm. And that's why we both feel um, there is a lot of um, expectation of conformity in a tradition. And Avashila Sridhar Maharaj, he has like a, a line that he many times quotes that we are not form makers, we are form breakers. No yeah. uh, yes. And that it needs in every spiritual tradition, it needs that the deepest content of truth has to be put again in the front has to be again in the in the front line and Mm. the latin word to put something in the front line again that is confront Uh, yeah or provocation
0: okay yeah okay
1: pro means in front and vocare Mm. means there is a vocal there it has to be said to be again in the front Mm-hmm. So, and conform, in conformity, normally we don't like so much uh, this aspect of provocation, but how important it is. And if we see our dear Goranga, he's like the, the archetype of provocation in so many ways. Like mm-hmm. most of the close relations. Um, associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu are persons completely outcast in that certain um, society. They are from lower caste, they are even from Muslim circums- circumstances. Or, you know, it it's like this happiness of provocation is not much loved. And this means there is a, a certain layer of expectation of conformity
0: Mhm, mm-hmm. okay lots to think about from what you have just said a few thoughts that come to mind of course first of all i i loved your idea of expected love i mean i don't love the idea in itself i love how you framed it <laughs> but also i love the idea of fleshing out that love doesn't have to be in, in that way, basically, and love requires freedom. If there's no freedom, there cannot be love. Today, we we're talking about that with the devotees, how, how freedom is the necessary price to pay for love. And of course, freedom has its price and its risks, uh, but that's yeah. the price of love. So if we really want love, we will be willing to praise the price with all risks involved. <laughs> that's part of our commitment to the ideal of love. And, uh, And and how part of that uh, and entering into that space of freedom, allowing ourselves to be free, even allowing ourselves, like Gandhi will say, to make mistakes, even if they say, no, I won't give you freedom because you will make a mistake. Give me the freedom to make a mistake. (laughs) So so I, I appreciate this idea that you're mentioning about provocation or I like in my book I use the word confrontation. The two words generally we don't feel very comfortable about in society. <laughs> we immediately feel oh there's something bad that's not, you shouldn't be doing that. but also that shows how much we sometimes lost the original meaning of words and how many times we end up using words that have many times the opposite meaning. like you say, you, you hear provocation. And it sounds like something undesirable. You use confrontation and you feel that shouldn't be happening. So that shows how much, how we get sidetracked in history from what the word actually meant and what we made of that to avoid the actual meaning of the word, so to say, how we create alternative meanings to words so we don't have to deal (laughs) with the actual substance of that term, which implies, again, putting in front of us those things that need to be, uh, ascertain, acknowledge, seen, embraced uh freedom being one of them, of course, as you mentioned, because personally I feel if there's not only if there is no freedom, but let's say if there's insufficient freedom, that will end up nourishing and assisting, as I put in my book, impersonalism. Mm-hmm. So so to be to be impersonal means also to not allow sufficient freedom not only to suffocate all freedom but not to not allow sufficient freedom that needs to be expressed for love to be a fully informed and voluntary decision mm. Mm. And, and to understand as you mentioned and today someone in a lecture asked once i will have surrender you you use the term anugatya so how to harmonize surrender with the idea of being free no And the importance of understanding, yeah, without surrender is voluntary. Surrender is the most voluntary decision. We need the most freedom to choose that we want to surrender, basically, because so many times we associate these terms with something forced, with something that I have no other option. So I do it because if not, this will happen to me. (laughs) All this type of negative connotations, instead of seeing surrender as the most, hopefully, the most voluntary. And joyful decision. I'm choosing to surrender and I'm taking full responsibility for that with joy. No?
1: Mm. Yes. So it's like in your book you mentioned and, and and in your lectures again and again how sometimes it's important to have like some therapeutical aspect solved in us that mm. the living being is happy in this world is like satisfied in this world because to an unsatisfied being then the offer of bhakti is coming and said oh yeah this is a way that i can escape from Mm. the moroseness and sadness of my being but this is not freedom and this is Mm. not a romantic affair between takuraji and it's Jiva, the soul, but this is not like another fourth thing. This is not out of a, free, uh, of a free will. That's why it's important to be happy. This is one of the questions we ask everyone who wants to stay longer in the ashram here. Are mm. you happy in this world? And if some of them mm. know it's horrible and I don't like, then we don't say, oh, then you are a, a candidate for bhakti. But they said, no, then it's better you don't go. (laughs) Because we don't want to, and we don't have the capacity to work too much on a therapeutical level. But Mm. say in the tradition so many times, it's a a bhakti, oh, you suffer so much and the world is really a a cruel place. That's why you should surrender. Mm. This is in the best way, why the bhakti. But it's Mm. not... That's what really the acharyas want to offer. It's not a path of fascination, which is a choice, and not a must because I cannot tolerate it anymore.
0: Thank you for sharing that, because for me that helps even more to make it clear that in our particular tradition we ideally embrace this path called raganuga or ragavakti, uh, and all that we are talking about has to do with that. No, all that one may feel this is a completely disconnected issue, but not. If you, as you mentioned very nicely, if you are predominated by fear and calculation and you approach bhakti just to get rid of or because you have to, uh, that creates a certain sense of orientation toward the practice, which is not very favorable to what Raga Bhakti is about. Like as you very beautifully depicted, we can call it the path of fascination no? or the path of, yeah, astonishment and spontaneous, like, attraction, uh, adventure. That's the opposite. Conformity on one side, I will say, and risk-taking on another. Let's put it like that. No, like rules, fear, and on another side, like adventure, uh, fearlessness, aliveness, mm. to put it in the best possible way. And aliveness, you need freedom for that. Mm. And it may be risky. Again, we may be afraid of entering into certain unknown arena we may prefer to keep everything on bay and do something but that's also so much how to say i prefer to (laughs) to have some fear of jumping into something that is totally fascinating (laughs) but still there may be some fear of i'm jumping into that no but i prefer to have that hesitation that having the fear of, of of calculating and have to do because if not i'm afraid of that type of fear I don't want. I prefer the the fear accompanying yeah. the ri- risk taking in the path of fascination. No, yeah. <laughs> I, I always hear this famous quote that says, "Always do what you are afraid to do." No, in, in this mm-hmm. connection, now if mm-hmm. there is something that gives you fear in this type of fear, try to embrace the adventure, and mm-hmm. because on top of that fear will be fascination again. Mm-hmm. The, the, so the this
1: yeah, this would sorry. mean it's an invitation, exactly that fear. You know, yeah. it's very interesting. Krishna speaks two times in Bhagavad Gita, in the third chapter and in the fourth chapter, verse 20, he says, mm. A person who is nitya tripta. He is constantly satisfied within himself, he's like happy in this world, he should become near ashraya, without mm. any dependence of anything mm. in this world. Mm. Without any ashray. It's very interesting how many times we say you have to always look for ashray," but mm. maybe that's what you call risk. Can you be without any ashray? Mm. Not to depend, not to look for security that all dependency structures will offer you, but really Mm. look for truth, which is a risk. And something you mentioned before that struck me, you said freedom, one has to pay a price.
0: Mm.
1: Can you elaborate? What is this price of freedom? (laughs)
0: Hmm. Well, there's a few things to say about that, of course. Also, we can talk about the price of not choosing freedom. Of course, there is a price for everything. I <laughs> will make that clear because sometimes we think, okay, if freedom has a the price, then I, I don't want to pay a price. So I choose the opposite of freedom. That has another price. And, and, and it's way, it seems it's cheaper, but at the end of the day, it's way higher. No? The price we pay for not choosing freedom. So, of course, I would like to make clear again, freedom is the, before going to the price of freedom, freedom is like the norm in our tradition. Even in the relationship guru-disciples, you are mentioning how sometimes we understand this idea of taking shelter or surrender or anugati, and we may interpret that with, I have no choice of my own anymore, no criteria. But for example, you quoted the Gita, and at the end of the Gita, when Krishna is talking with Arjuna, he's inviting Arjuna to Okay, now you fully deliberate on what I shared with you and then do as you please. You no. Know? So Krishna, the guru figure is telling the disciple, okay, now you decide what to do with what I gave you. you no, know? now there is the freedom part. So of course, there is a price to pay for freedom in the sense, of course, first of all, that we need to. It's a beautiful price. No, it's not a bad word, price. <laughs> I mean, to be free, you have to. To be courageous, you have to be vulnerable, you have to be... Uh, you have to enter into this arena of risk taking. Even at the end of the day you will realize there was no actual risk. When you are fully realized, as Srila Maharaj will say, in the beginning you feel too much risk, no gain. Then you will realize the more the risk, the more the gain. But <laughs> at the end you will realize actually there, were no, there was no risk, everything was gain. <laughs> But we will perceive that there is some risk on some level because, again, some sections of our complacency, our conformity, have to be put on the fire, so to say. Uh, and and that feels like a price to pay, so to say. No, We have to let go on certain things we are doing. Hmm? As we, we are talking today of the beauty of non-conformity, of course, we have to talk about the dangers of conformity. <laughs> No? So, for example, conformity has a lot to do with um, n- the need to satisfy others permanently and maintain appearances. No? Mm. That's conformity. No, I keep an appearance of who I am, and, I, and I'm completely absorbed in trying to keep everyone happy, pleasing everyone, so I can fit in, no? which is not the same as I put in my book, to belong. We actually need to belong deeply, not merely fit in. But many times we choose conformity, and uh, confuse conf- uh, like fitting in with belonging, conformity with actual participation. So, <clears throat> so the price of conformity is to live a lie, basically. That's a high price to pay. I don't want to pay that price. So, because if you live a lie, if you take in a lie, you must take all that belongs to it. No, it's not just empty. my life is a lie, so that's it. No, that's that's a huge price to pay. So the price of conformity is to live a lie and the price of non-conformity of the price of freedom is probably to begin with, to realize I'm living a lie. <laughs> and that can be painful as death. Uh, that's a death, literally, that we have to go through. One, one of many. <laughs> so some initial thoughts regarding the price to pay for freedom, mm? to <clears throat> to probably acknowledge how uh, enslaved we are for and, and, and how, how we have chosen that for, from so many places. How we have chosen to betray ourselves in so many ways. How we have escaped from. How afraid we are of freedom. And that's part of the price to pay for freedom. To to acknowledge, to awaken to those to those facts. I'm terrified about being free. <laughs> mm-hmm. Although on a on mouth lip service, I may say freedom ki jai, but when the opportunity is given for me to fully be myself and take full responsibility we may f- realize many times they choose someone else to tell me what to do think for me feel for me live for me <laughs> which is not possible of course but we try hard enough mm. so some words what do you think about that kristin wow thank you very much you
1: know taking a risk it's such a, a, a deep thing because we are, we think that security is the highest gain. Mm. And then slowly, slowly leaving a certain security. Um, yeah, it's it's not easy. It, I have to, like you say, not just go through a bodily death. This is quite, this is mm. always the small brother. It's called the bodily death. Mm. <laughs> Big brother. Is leaving a certain mentality that I was carrying for many Mm -hmm. many lifetimes in me. Mm -hmm. And when the when the soul is like outside the embrace of divine love, naturally she starts the soul starts holding for some insignificant securities, and how this has to be left and you know beside this is a, a very big risk and mm-hmm. i yeah. always see him when persons when the atmosphere of being cared for and um being carried in german one says "aufgehobenheit," which is a very beautiful word then there is a a very strong tendency for conformity so that's why um carl jung he says in many scriptures he says ideology is compensation for a deep faith Mm -hmm. if i don't risk myself to really enter the open field the free field of choosing him, then it's much easier mm. than to grasp to certain ideology. It's a compensation of deep mm. faith. And mm. we always see it tends then to fundamentalism. And actually, it's always a sign of a weakness. <coughs> it's a person who is not willing to risk, to go on a path, to risk freedom. To because it always feels how to say um uh secure to be in your cage. And it also so many religious cage and also yeah. and because, cage.
0: And because so many people is doing the same thing, no, also this principle is there. No, most of us become conformists because everyone else is doing that, so it feels natural. So I just joined the party, right? It happens yeah. so many in that. Like a collective phenomenon, you no, know, like or, or even it gets reinforced because so many times something that happens is that sometimes we we conform to something publicly that internally we don't agree with. That even happens yes. sometimes. Yes, you know, we may disagree with something, but publicly we do not we, we conform to that. So the people who see us conforming to that publicly, they assume that we are actually conforming to that internally as well. So, yeah. so that height, heightens the inclination to conform. So exactly. everyone, everyone else is feeding each other on that and creates more and more layers of conformity, basically.
1: Yeah. This means there is an atmosphere of not inviting a doubt. So I want to belong to the group. So that's mm-hmm. why I choose, you know, I, I in, inside I don't believe it. Like many statements we have even in our scriptures
0: mm-hmm.
1: about ladies about dependency and you know one doesn't feel it's right but i want to belong to the group so i i'm participating so that this means there is not an atmosphere of freedom of inviting all doubts it can be confronted
0: mm-hmm. yeah uh, and i think that goes gets closer and closer to a totalitarian regime basically because yeah. everyone is publicly conforming and we know that some are not agreeing with that internally, but in externally they have to conform because they want to belong. Although that's not belonging. Again, that's fitting in. <laughs> because deep belonging means I can be who I am with my doubts, voicing my doubts, voicing my disagreements. And there is a place for that. And that makes a place for actually belonging, doubts included. But if you don't give the... The freedom of that, even no one is forbidding that officially. But if, as you say, if that's not being, if we are not inviting enough people enough to present their doubts and exp- that's a way of saying that's being forbidden. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. There's not enough emphasis on a free of freedom of expression, if you want to put it like that.
1: You know, there's a story of uh, actually, it's a theater play of Bertolt Brecht, he's a German writer. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was during the time of Stasi. This means in East Germany, during the communist um, um, dictatorship, actually. So Mm -hmm. there was, you know, there were always people looking at you constantly. And he one person was a servant of a Stasi, of Mm -hmm. one who is like a, a heavy police agent. And he, he was whole life. He was forced to say yes. Internally, he mm. really didn't believe it. And actually, he became each time he said yes and mm. meant no inside. He became mm. weaker in his personality. And then one day at the end of the theater play, you know, this Stasi, he died and he teared the corpse through the whole apartment. Put him on the balcony and threw him from the balcony and was shouting, no. So it's like the first time to regain power again. So, But it's a sad story of uh, when there is an atmosphere in spiritual traditions Hmm. where one has to uh, go according to certain expectations. Actually, Mm -hmm. each time one cannot express it. One has to like you say, you fit in and you don't belong. Your
0: own aliveness is going down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, I'm I mean, that's so that can be so dangerous. What you are mentioning in connection to your the story you shared that we say yes, but actually internally we are saying no. That that type of short circuiting. If you like replicate the same pattern a few times, that creates such a some scar basically for distorting, putting reality like backwards, you no, know? like reading everything in the opposite way, reading everything in the opposite direction, and that can be so dangerous because and, and I've seen even people like like I don't sitting on a biasasan and disagreeing completely on a series of things, but saying what is expected from them to say Mm -hmm. and just becoming how to say a slave of expectations so to say no and for me uh, christian consciousness is not so much about fitting in with the expectations at least not expectations that are uh conformist again Mm -hmm. because someone may have beautiful expectations I don't know if the word will be, should be expectation, but Krishna has seen our bright, beautiful potential. He's seeing, wow, no? you can be all this. So there's some mm-hmm. expectation, so to say, seeming from that, but it's not the same like limiting, limited and limiting expectation that sometimes many of us are throwing on, onto one another or establishing as, as standard to fit in. No, maybe we are not using those words to tell people that, but indirectly we are telling them: as long as you don't fit with our expectations, you cannot be part of our tribe. Mm-hmm. And that's so exhausting. It puts people on a oof, such a such a journey of trying to fit in, trying to. And if they do not fit in, they feel that they don't belong. Again, they confuse fitting in with belonging. And also, we have this idea that I also mentioned in my book of honor and shame. No, sometimes we create this honor-shame culture, no, which sometimes there's exaggerated form of praise and over-idealization, but very quickly it invokes the counterpart of that, no, like extreme shame and blame. No, if you do not do this, if you don't fit in, you are an outkiss, you cannot belong. Sorry. No. Uh and and that takes away dignity from people and and that gives people the message that the only dignity you can attain is by obtaining by fitting in by attaining authority position honor prestige respect assets that's dignity instead of sell, telling people give yourself inner dignity give yourself the inner dignity try to see how you are already a glorious soul loved by god Extract dignity from that instead of forcing dignity from outside to inside. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what you said about the shame and the fear <laughs> of the you know being in a tribe and the religious group are quite intense tribes, and uh-huh. maybe there is you know from a very old structure since thousands of years. Not being part of the group meant death. When you were like living in a in a forest in a little tribe, when you excommunicated, mm-hmm. and for hundreds and hundreds of years in the Catholic Church, excommunication meant death. Meant you know you and not just a physical death, but actually it meant uh, ontological death. You're like doomed mm-hmm. as a soul. So this Yeah.
0: Yeah. This I, I can. I can. I can empathize with your words. I have some experience in that. I
1: <laughs> also. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well,
0: yeah. 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 And how it's wonderfully how people immediately, as you mentioned, even today, puts you in that label. No, you have been excommunicated. You have been rejected. That means you have no ontological extending whatsoever. You are out mm. of the. Of the equation of valid existence so to say <laughs> you stop to exist basically that's the message No, you are excommunicated and immediately so many people for example stop to talk to you which basically mm-hmm. is another way of saying for me you stopped existing from now on so it's another way of denying your ont- ontological presence you mm-hmm. stopped existence because you have been as you say kicked out of the tribe you do not longer you're no longer belong so that's equal to ontological death. <laughs> mm. So, I mean, we laugh about that, but that can be so terribly shocking and traumatic and cruel even. No? Imagine treating someone suddenly <laughs> from one day to another, like from now on you stop existing basically and you have no right for continuing (laughs) or or in our community labeling people as apparatus or whatever some something they may have done in the past uh and that's it that's who they are forever (laughs) and simultaneously glorifying the extreme mercy of mahaprabhu and the costless grace of nityananda and at the same time labeling people forever out of it so that's like I mean, we need to recalculate, no? like the GPS will yeah. say, recalculating what, what what we are understanding of all this.
1: Yeah. Maybe it needs a little bit more a rebellious spirit. You know, these persons who were like thrown out of conformative um, places, they could be the most interesting person. Uh, it sh- one should invite them and one should give them a voice it could be quite interesting. And this is <clears throat> something I also don't see so much cared in the godia community. That there is two, how to say, um, two aspects which are extremely important in each one's spiritual life. This is devotion and rebellion.
0: Mm.
1: So if a person only has a devoted side, then it's like it it can quickly become a sentimentalist idea. And if Mm -hmm. a person is just rebellious without surrendering to a higher source of everything, then he just becomes a normal political activist. Mm -hmm. So actually in my life, I was searching for the connection of these two sites, how important it is. And I was at the University of Zurich. And there I met like one of my first gurus in this life. He said, uh-huh. uh, he gave a lecture and it was written, Daniel Berrigan, Catholic Anarchist, so it <laughs> shook my heart. Because I will join that
0: lecture. I will join the I lecture for sure.
1: Connected, <laughs> what I look, looked for. And he was, um, I think Richard Rohr was quite close with him also. They had contemplative prayer groups in America where they deeply prayed for a week. And then they entered in a factory, which they produce weapons and destroyed as much as they could. And then again went praying. So it's like mm-hmm. something like a spiritual activism.
0: Mm-hmm. Of
1: course, he was being searched like the terrorist in America and he could never ever go back there. It was mm. it became a dangerous thing. So I think this is a very interesting way. Um that these two aspects need very much to be connected. Also in our it needs uh, a, a devoted side, a surrender, and ne- needs mm. a rebellion. It mm. needs like a revolution.
0: Mm. Yeah. yeah, I'm thinking about the rebellion side like part of the boldness uh, of love, so to say, no? As a, a Sri Rada or higher personalities, of course, I'm going a little bit beyond now. In the Lila, yeah. they will show certain boldness as a part of love we could say that's a rebellion nature when she's in man which is angry with krishna and so on there is some non-cooperative <laughs> element to love but it's increasing it's a symptom of love and it's increasing the experience of love so somehow going back to our particular situation a, a, a correspondent natural expression of devotion should be also some form of yeah rebelliousness boldness not as you mentioned not for rebelliousness sake no, it's not like here we are promoting anarchy for anarchy's sake or non-conformity merely for the sake of non-conformity, but in the context of something bigger and for the sake of something bigger, for new pursuits, new ideals, deeper commitments. Uh, and yeah, I agree that <laughs> in, in the present state of our community, that's not something very much... Um, promoted, if you will, or even like (laughs) appreciated. Sometimes it may be seen as you are controversial, and that word controversial, which is not a bad word, will be labeled as something again, bad, confrontational, provocative, going back to all these terms that sometimes has been historically stigmatized. But I think that, as you mentioned there, it needs to be revived in the context of devotion, again, because again, the risk is there to become too much of an activist and too much of a rebel without a cause, as they say, which implies if you have a cause, there is there is reason to be rebellious. Uh, mm. uh, and again, rebellious with truth in hand, so for the yeah. sake of truth. I always remember this quote from, and I quote that in my book, famous line from Alexander Solzhenitsyn from the Gulag Archipelago, and he will say, a single, single something like that, single individual speaking the truth can bring down a tyranny. Mm-hmm. An entire tyranny can be brought down by a single individual speaking the truth. But in a, in a tyranny, to speak the truth, that means you are a rebel, basically. <laughs> no? If you dare to speak the truth in an in a environment where truth is not popular, you, you are rebellious, you are bold. No? In my book, I, I like to use the word prophet for, for referring to those people. No, not prophet like someone... Necessarily Shakti Abyss need to Nitya that descending from Golok. Yeah. Yeah. but someone who is willing, willing to talk about the untalkable, yeah. you know? mm-hmm. willing to give voice to the voiceless, you know? willing to like open an arena of further conversation. And in that sense, we may say that people will create, generate the crisis by what they are talking. They will create yeah. some unsettling. You know? uh, they will evoke a crisis and that's a gift of the prophet so to say and of course yeah. that's why generally prophets are seen as troublemakers and yeah. they're oftentimes, oftentimes they are killed basically
1: uh-huh. <laughs> you know <laughs> Bhakti Thakur, our mm. Bhakti Thakur, he was asked you know you create havoc everywhere you go you create difficult situations so why do you call your magazine harmonist <laughs> because everywhere you go, there is some fight going on. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> he, the answers he gave himself was very, very deep. He said, ah. "Harmony with that eternal realm has mm. to create turbulence in a mm. in a world that started sleeping completely. That in a world that." fell asleep so Mm -hmm. that's why in one way a person who is in deepest harmony with the will of god naturally he will be the biggest confrontation in a world where even krishna is saying in gita yoga nashta parantapa again and Mm -hmm. again i'm trying to establish an atmosphere of truth and again and again It falls apart. So, Uh you know, when one tries to put a harmony here, he becomes a threat for the Uh status quo. And this is Uh a dangerous thing. So start loving. Um, That havoc is wonderful. And I'm very happy that (laughs) you extended it even to the spiritual world before. Hashimati Radhika. In many verses, even in Padyavali, Tya Jantu Bandava Sarve Nindantu Guravejana, the Tapi Mama Sarvasam Govinda Mama Jivanam, Vashimati Radhika is saying, It doesn't, it may be that all my relatives reject me. It may be that my gurujan, my superiors, they leave me and criticize me heavily. But I have to tell you something. Govinda is my very life. You know, mm. so it's exactly that spirit that you mentioned mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Non-conformity to the extreme. <laughs> She's yes. the ultimate non-conformist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, God, God is the ultimate, the, the supreme non-conformist. So we have to, how to say, as you mentioned, we have to conform to parampara, but the spirit of conforming to the parampara. Parampara is a lineage of non-conformity. Mm-hmm. So we are being we are conforming to a lineage of non-conformity, so to say. So th- that means we are becoming non-conformists uh, ourselves, no? And, mm-hmm. and I know that, again, one requires patience. I'm, I'm not expecting that non-conformity will become very popular because only a few people have patience with deconstructing all the lies that may be there established as truth, all the lies in oneself, of course, all the deconstruction of ego, or sometimes even the construction of whole groups and institutions that have been like inf- infused by lies or wrong ways of doing things, and they need to yeah. be fleshed out gradually. So, but yeah, that's in the higher realms, and somehow that has to be reflected here as a. Say commitment to truth. Let, let me share a few lines that came to my mind when you mentioned Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. I shared in my book a few lines here. He says, uh, one second, yeah. page 300, And just a few words. When how he describes humility in this connection between some sometimes, many times, as you mentioned, we may think, but you should be humble. No, no, we shouldn't be rebellious. Rebellious is the opposite of being submissive. Mahaprabhu praised submission and humility so much and surrender. We shouldn't be bold and rebellious and humility. But what does it mean humility? (laughs) It has so many meanings, of course. And one of those Prabhupada Bhakti Siddhanta will say, Without cheating anyone, we should boldly proclaim the truth to everyone. If the truth is bitter or unpopular, but bestows blessings on the living entities, we must pick it. Unless we fearlessly speak the truth, the sweet absolute will not be pleased, and then he becomes even more intense. The aggressive pronouncement of the concrete truth is the crying necessity of the moment for silencing the for silencing the aggressive propaganda of specific untruths that is being spread all over the world, and so on. Now he continues, but it's a little bit too long, too too long. Humility implies perfect submission to the truth and no sympathy for untruth and mm. so on. So so yeah, I, I totally agree with your point, and I appreciate what you mentioned on <clears throat> how if, if in a particular place, world, society, group, family, <clears throat> truth is not the norm, someone who stands for truth will be seen as a threat, will be labeled as bad, confrontational, controversial, but that's not so much those labels are not speaking so much about how bad that person is, but how compromised we are <laughs> in our ideals that when someone speaks the truth, we'll feel threatened, no? Mm-hmm. So that actually sheds light to the condition we may be where we feel a representative of truth as, as a dangerous person, no? Mm.
1: Wow. So... A crying, yeah. a crying necessity to stand mm. up. Yeah. You know? and have a have a freedom for that this is wonderful
0: since since you mentioned the idea of freedom Christian chandler going back to that point in particular and i recall we talked a little bit a few weeks ago when we were in switzerland we mentioned you mentioned to me something in connection to eric from in connection to freedom and the fear of freedom we may have i don't know if you would like to share with all of us some of those reflections, because it's. I think it's an important point to understand why we are so terrified about freedom, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, It's quite interesting. You know,
1: Erich Fromm, he wrote the book. In German, it's called Angst, Furcht vor der Freiheit. And the English, they made it, I think, escape of freedom. It's the... Mm title in English, and he mm. wrote it in 1941. So this mm. means in the middle of the First World War, a uh, Second World mm-hmm. War. So, and he... Escape, he was, escape.
0: yeah. The escape. name is the, Escape from Freedom or The Fear escape of freedom. freedom. There are two options. Yeah. Okay, okay, yes. This is his book. That's for those who would like to look for the material eventually, yeah. Sorry.
1: Oh, it's written in 1941, I think. So yes. it's like... Yeah um a very intense um he was so threaded how can a whole country suddenly follow a a dictator how can it be that millions and millions of people go to extreme unhuman things and So this and he says that the socialization of the surrounding they and also the religion didn't give them the people a taste of freedom. And that's why they prefer when they don't have this and they the risk of this freedom, they try to orient themselves only of power and Subordination or um, gehorsam—I don't know the English word. that This means to follow and to be a, to be a follower. So this mm-hmm. is quite a, a threatening structure. So he wrote this whole book, and it's like the whole book is an invitation—not of only political freedom, but mainly the the deep to risk a freedom in ourselves to not just become dependent from some external structures. Mm -hmm. You know, not just to feel at home when it... And then he says also, (coughs) not um, this fear of freedom, it needs... uh, like a monism it's ne- uh, the opposite of radical <laughs> personalism it needs uh-huh. a one like the dictatorship it needs a one opinion that is valued and yeah, cannot one narrative. Be- yeah. yeah one narrative it cannot be happy with extreme pluralism uh-huh. and it cannot be like um in favor of that and when we for example look at brihupakshavatamrita It's very interesting in the higher realms, we accompany Gop Kumar in his travel. The bigger the diversity is becoming. Mm. So, but he has to be extremely happy in different ways, how things were done and be fascinated by that. If a person is just reduced to himself and not fascinating from extreme variety of expressions. This means Uh (laughs) he he follows that, what Erich Fromm is saying, you know, he needs security, he cannot question any authority, and he needs just one narrative, because otherwise his his whole thing would, would scatter, his whole building would scatter.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I, I really like the, I quoted Eric Fromm also in my book, and I recalled, I think something that w- we also talk with each other, that he will use this term of authoritarian religion, yeah. specifically, uh, how in, in authoritarian religion, like the subjective experience of the participants, is that of subordinating themselves to a higher power in obedience and reverence and worship. Uh, but it's not a surrender that is in response to to love, to the love that the authority may display, but rather just because the authority holds power over them, basically. Mm-hmm. No? And and in those in that in those systems, the, the main sin is disobedience, basically. Mm-hmm. No? So yeah. here again comes this idea of obedience, disobedience, because we hear the word obedience so many times, but and, and and Eric From contrasts contrast the notion of authoritarian religion with that of humanitarian, basically. No? Mm. Humanitarian mm. religion is what we may call radical personalism, where it's basically stands that you become unexploitable instead of disempowered and abused. So I think that's an important way of putting it. You know, how we can practice Bhakti in a way that we become unexploitable? No? Mm. <laughs> because many times these systems, as you are describing, are completely disempowering so we become very susceptible to exploitation very exploitable Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean as you say very fearful of more than one narrative very fearful of nuance very fearful of diversity while actually our whole goal as you beautifully described with the example of bhagavata which for me is such a such an important book in the sense of it sets so many precedents for us as a lineage to pay attention to, one of them being the more you progress, as you mentioned, the more diversity there will be and the more your fascination with that diversity has to be there so you can appreciate the ultimate diversity that will be shown in the goal you want to attain in braj so to say. If you are not able to be fascinated by all the preliminary diversity, <laughs> you won't be able to appreciate the full diversity that is there in, in Golok, and that that's how Gopakumar passes the test, no? He's going to so many places and fascination after fascination and increase fascination, chamatkar mm. uh, instead of instead of the sense of security that I better stay here, which is somehow the offering he will receive from so many places, if you will. If you want to take it like that, the boat is offering, you can stay here and be happy here. You don't you won't need anything, everything is settled. Security. Oh wow, I can stay here for eternity. <laughs> But there is some further thirst and further, how to say, potential for fascination <laughs> that keeps Gopa Kumar going. No, that's mm-hmm. somehow the fuel, the fuel of his journey is a, this intuition of further potential for fascination, <laughs> which is for me another way of saying rasa sar chamatkar. No, the essence of rasa is this experience of of astonishment, basically. Yes,
1: yes. You know what would be bhakti. Out of expectation. In beginning of Chaitanya Charitamita, Krishna is Himself even saying, oh. You know, the whole universe is full of people doing it because it's their Dharma, because they should do it and it's okay because it's expected of the jiva it's your eternal dharma but it's not enough krishna is saying this kind of fuel <laughs> for your inner lo- for your inner longing is not strong enough to bring you to the realm of Praj. and this is the interesting most interesting place where the m- most intense variety is there of so many ways of how to serve Krishna, like all the five Rasas and all the seven Uparasas in full expression. Mm. But it's not a concurrence. It's not, how to say, competition. It's Mm. just extreme happiness about others are serving. So, and this is like the biggest um, excitement of freedom that the less freedom I can ex- um, tolerate, the more the interpretation can only be one. The narrative can only be one. But the more the freedom is enlarged, naturally they can be an extreme plural- plurality of expressions. And there needs to be a happiness for that.
0: Mm, for me, yeah.
1: this, is this must be the spiritual world
0: yeah yeah and we need full freedom to accommodate full diversity basically as you mentioned no yeah. the more the freedom we have the more the diversity we can accommodate because if not too too much diversity without corresponding freedom will be like too much no mm-hmm. so i i appreciate the verse you quoted from chaitanya because now it's coming to me this new way of so to say, defining both Bhadi bhakti and raganuga bhakti, you know, you use the word expectation and fascination. So I, I like those two. It's, instead, we can speak of Bhadi bhakti as the path of expectation, because again, it is expected for me to serve Krishna because he's God. So I will serve him because he's you no, know, and so many other expectations from people doing that and expecting something back. Well, raganuga Bhakti has more to do with chamatkar, astonishment, fascination. So it's an interesting way, play of words to put it. Bhadi Bhakti, the path of expectation. Raghunuga Bhakti, the path of fascination. So which one you want to choose? Again, freedom. Uh-huh. <laughs> freedom comes there.
1: <laughs> it's wonderful. It's like Maharaj in Dasha Dashakam of Raghunatas Goswami. He brings this beautiful verse, Anadi Sadi, Vapatu, Pratipada, in very deep desperation. He says, You know, some persons say that this Krishna, he's Anadi Sadi, he's the origin of everything, he's the absolute truth. It may be, whoever wow. you are, it's the absolute truth or just a normal person of braj if you mahavai kunteshadika ihana no if you're the lord of all material and spiritual planets or just a small simple child i don't care and if you Ramilat Karunya karunahina if you're ex- excessively merciful or cruel like anything
0: hmm.
1: now i have to tell you one thing whoever you are and whatever you are you're just my everything Stam prabhuvara so this mm. is not of a calculation not of an expectation nothing it's Pure. just purely
0: fascination yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm seeing here The that reminds me of the last verse of Six shasta here Radha prabhu is sharing that here no but he that was a comment of a little bit a while we were talking about the havoc that is created by those who speak the truth. But then he quoted Yatata Bhavidadatu Lampato, which is basically how Sirad is saying, basically the same, he can embrace me, he cannot embrace me, he can trample on me, he can do whatever he likes. He remains my prananath, no fascination on top of every other consideration. So, but again, for that, we need, we need freedom. We need to give ourselves the permission, so to say, to be. To be individuals and to be persons now and also that means brings to my mind the idea that we also quoted that i also write about in my book and we talked about in switzerland the idea of individuation going to jungian terms the idea of what to do with our individuality and how we can be as individuals as we can as persons as we can so we can really make of our sense ourselves as our individual being the fullest most complete tasteful and diverse offering we can possibly do for the pleasure of our beloved, yeah. basically.
1: Yes. So,
0: so so, that's some something that I personally consider very important. In our stage as sadhakas, like, yeah, I'm an individual, but how much of an individual I actually am. How I'm exercising my freedom in connection to my individual existence. Can I be more free, more of a person? Is there a limit to that? Probably not, in, in in connection to bhakti, there is no limit to the potential of how much I can be a person. So, mm-hmm. how much am I exploring those things? No?
1: Yes, it's so wonderful. You know this word individuality. Mm. It's like this individere. You cannot divide anymore. And mm. the Greeks they had another word for the very same thing. They called it atomos, the mm-hmm. atom. That which you Mm -hmm. cannot divide anymore. Mm. And this Greek word, Atomos, that which you cannot divide and split anymore, Mm. is actually a a derivative. It directly comes from the Sanskrit word Atma. Mm. So this is what you are, this deepest individuality. And it's so fascinating that why is Krishna even interested On an individuality like me. I mean, he has billions and billions of servants in the spiritual world. And like all services are mostly covered, we could say. (laughs) But no, there is one Rasa he can only experience through me. Through this kind, Mm -hmm. tiny Jiva who is here in this world. That's why I am an expected being by him. Mm. Because this is how much an individual individual we are. And this is the choice to become that is like the mm. biggest expression of freedom. And it gives so much happiness and even pleasure to Radha and Krishna. It's, it, this is really a, a fascinating thought. Yeah. And there is a commentary of Vyasa Dev to the first verse of, second verse of Yoga Sutra, like okay. Chitta Vritti Nirodha, Niroda. and then he asks the question, why are they Chitta Vrittis? Why are they disturbance in the consciousness of a of a living being? And mm. he gives a letter, He says, actually, because we are not living the real potent uh, the possibility of this Atma and that's why there's like an alarm clock giving Mm -hmm. and this is you're not living according to your deepest individuality to the potential of your soul and Mm. we can be extremely lucky that there is Chitta Vritti there is disturbance in the mind because Mm. it's a sign that you are not arrived yet at the potential Mm -hmm your soul so and then it's very clear Oh, the yoga system they try to just be in peaceful surrounding and do some mauna but this will never work you have we are invited to go back to the deepest longing of the soul to the deepest individuality and this is only a choice and like we said before all expectation and all conformity could can never ever bring a soul close to that um, closest um, uh, goal of any soul.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Once once this idea came to me, like we have a commitment to our potential. No. Mm. So we exist along with our potential, and we are committed to all to that potential. What that potential means what that potential represents if you fully play that out in connection to what Krishna is expecting, if you want to put it like that, from our potential. As you mentioned, I really appreciated your point of how there is a particular experience and service that we can, only we can offer. (laughs) Not not from an arrogant place, because quickly someone may think, who do you think you are? But it's not from a place of arrogance, it's a place of utter humility, because who, I mean, I have nobody to deserve such a thing, but the arrangement has been made in that, such a way that there is some unique uh, window of experience that can be provided to Bhagavan that only can come through me. <laughs> for some reason, that's the reason for me existing, actually. That's why I exist. Why I exist instead of not existing because there is something that can only be uniquely provided and offered and tasted by my personal exi- existence and Every one of us as well. As, as I also mentioned once, I think in our lecture in Switzerland, that, that Radha and Krishna are dying on a daily basis in separation from each other. And our duty in eternity will be to serve their lives. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like creating this contrast of who we are so insignificant, and we are saving God's life on a daily basis, so to say. Like to make the point that there is some inner dignity in each of us that has been, that exists there from time without beginning. And I think that's very reassuring and gives lots of hope and dignity to us. Again, from a humbling place, not from an arrogant place, but that we can feel, okay, there is something unique that I have to, that I can offer. And that's my, my work, so to say on the Bhakti project, trying to refine that potential, to discover that potential so I can finally provide that unique experience that can only come through me. So that becomes a whole life mission uh, and makes give so much purpose and meaning to our whole life. Uh, and And yeah, I really appreciate the way you make you put it in the way that it's really validating for one's individual existence instead of just again, disempowering people, saying, you don't you don't you don't matter too much, you're just insignificant. Uh, and And that's the only part of the equation they present. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> And we could say, yeah, I'm insignificant, but <laughs> there's a few. Other things that are not insignificant, that are pretty significant, not only for me, for Krishna himself. So all that has to be bring, brought up to the equation. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. And, Let and me Marissa, one. Sorry, yeah, 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 yes. tell me. No, 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 tell me. Please, no, no, I'm I, was going, I was going to share one quote that Bhakti Rasa shared, but you had something to share. Please go on.
1: Okay, after we will... But don't forget it. I want to hear also. (laughs) You know, just another aspect of of freedom is like there is a lot of emphasis in the bhakti movement in the West on preaching efforts. And Mm. I think there is a lot of energy wasted in that.
0: Because
1: we don't have this deep dignity in a soul that we think, Oh, I have to override it and we have to present and give something, and now they should come. So, to have like a very deep, uh, a faith in the freedom and not just, um, to souls coming on the path, but also, um, I saw it many times, that um, if we accompany souls on the path of bhakti, oh, now you have to tell him like this, and he, maybe he's going away from the path, it has to be like this. So, but have some um, faith in the path of a soul, you know, allow him that freedom, allow him this a certain openness and not just override his path by certain convictions I carry in myself. And many times this is called preaching. It's like, <laughs> I want to override some convictions others carry in themselves. And this yeah. is quite a weak endeavor. Like there is one story of a, a television priest in America. He had like millions of followers and then he died and they came to heaven and they asked him, so what did you do for the living beings on this world? And he said, don't you know, I sent millions to you. And then they said, yeah, it's possible, but no one ever arrived. Mm. So this means like uh, when it's not... um, like keeping a freedom to other jivas. For me, this is a, a very important aspect um, of freedom. I have mm-hmm. a deep faith in a path that someone else is going. I don't have to intervene too much. And it's more like, by again, by a fascination and not what others should do, that some uh, some spark can grow. It's like... Mm. Here in the ashram, we have a, like a, a rule, we can say, that we never ever made, we never distributed one flyer. We, we never went on the street to give any invitation. And, you know, it's two hours by foot away from the last road of civilization. But we are like over flooded by persons. And I, I just have... I feel this should be much more an emphasis, and no. not overwriting the the path of others, which is often called preaching.
0: Amen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I. What can I say? I, I totally agree. I also have written in my book about that about the. There is sometimes an overemphasis of proselytation and and sometimes in the name of preaching, which is not a word I personally like to use. I prefer to use other words that may be more specific to what actually has, in my opinion, should be done in in the name of extending one's own experience in a natural way, again, while not... Yeah, while acknowledging other people's freedom and, and, and not... Because many times we the preaching and i'm not saying always but many times people who preach is just trying to convince others because they are not so convinced enough themselves so so there i'm i'm not acknowledging my own lack of conviction and i'm like inter, interfering other people's freedom in the name of universal compassion or something <laughs> yeah, yeah. so so yeah i appreciate your point of trying to develop more trust in not only in the nature of the process, but also in the sincerity of every other person. And and if they don't want to be sincere, then that's their choice as well. I, I cannot just like live my life to make other people's more sincere. I mean, I can, of course, I can be a, a companion, I can support, I can be a witness of other people's journey. But it's, yeah, I think it's important to put this, a nice delimitation and how much, that is supposed to happen. How much is not starting to be an evasion from my own journey, from my own freedom, from my own decision, from my own responsibility, and instead trying to to to, to live other people's life? Because we know most people like to live other people's life, hear about other people's life, uh, distract from the extract themselves from their own lives, but looking what other peoples are doing. All of them are forms of basically grammya kata or gossip, you know? mm. like escaping from my own life and trying to to control other people's life. So that gossip also can take the form of preaching, so to say, <laughs> mm. in the form of interfering and trying like to... Yeah. Unless there is very deep uh, sense of compassion and a very natural, I will say, personally, very natural overflowing of my own freedom, of my own practice, and that sprinkles other people even without my intention of trying to control the sprinkling so to say <laughs> that that's very yeah that's very natural that gives lots of assurance okay that's happening as you mentioning we are not trying to force people come here come here but they come so that gives us this the assurance okay those who are coming despite our non-inviting anyone okay they are coming for some reason, so we will honor that <laughs> that presence, so to say. Yes.
1: Yeah. And it's like very interesting what you're saying, um, to give the persons a dignity by allowing them, uh, to give them a freedom. It's like this is exactly what the Lord is doing with us. Like in the fourth canto of Bhagavatam, in the story of Puranjana, it's a very moving moment. Where one looks at our whole journey through these lives to unlimited lifetimes from mm. the perspective of Paramatma, mm. you know how in every life how he tries to knock on our mm. door, but mm. we didn't want, so he was never overwriting uh, that will, which is very amazing. And then it's the uh, Narad Muni speaks about. Agyata Bandhu, there is this very Hmm. close friend that you have Hmm. forgotten for such a long time. Hmm.
0: Hmm. And
1: you know, when by some decisions, by some choices of bhakti, which is called Sukriti in the beginning, Agyata Sukriti, and then Gyata Sukriti. So these are some choices from the side of the Atma. This gives some freedom to Paramatma to intervene. Mm. So it's quite an interesting perspective that the practice of bhakti gives freedom to God to intervene. That's what he Mm. already wanted since long time. He Mm. wanted to intervene, but he respected our right for ignorance in a, str- yeah. in a strong way. So this is, you know, this very moving moment to look our journey through the lifetime and what we did since millions of lifetimes from the perspective of the closest friend of Paramatma who was accompanying us through all these different forms of lives. It's a very moving story. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, I actually reduced your freedom by my stubbornness to forget
0: you. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, and that for me that's wonderful to think also like how someone like again, Paramatma can be witnessing our plight and and, and suffering in the context of that wishing that we turn our faces to him and establish some connection. So there's so much suffering but at the same time there's so much as you say respect for our right to remain in ignorance as you mentioned because that's like the preliminary stage of love you now if I, i'm respecting your freedom i'm honoring you as a individual and if there is love let's be let's have it in a voluntary way if, if you are not choosing love fully i, I cannot impose that on you so even though I'm suffering like hell, seeing you suffering so much, at the same time, I honor the the idea of love so much that I cannot go against the very nature of love, as a general rule at least, and just force that upon everyone, because sometimes that's a classical question of why we suffer, no? If God is all good, all merciful, why we suffer? And And actually, the actual reply, although it may sound totally contradictory, is why we suffer because God loves us. (laughs) I say, what? Yes, because he loves you. He's willing to give you the freedom to choose yourself to love him. And giving freedom to choose means you have to have at least one more option, at least two. And, And one option will be to love him. Another option will be to ignore him. And the consequence of ignoring him is that you are suffering. But all that is coming because he loves you. He's giving you the choice, that freedom. So st- strictly speaking, you can reply to that question like, that. we suffer because lo- God loves us. Of course, we need to unpack that answer so people doesn't get doesn't freak out even more. <laughs> but, yeah. And I think it's important in that connection
1: to add that this suffering, is not that what people call suffering in this world, like sickness and dying and losing things. But it's actually I have only one suffering as a Jiva. I'm suff- I'm suffering unconscious separation of him. Hmm. And <clears throat> this is how a sadhu sees persons. Sometimes they're externally suffering or they're in extreme happiness. But for the sadhu, he sees the only one suffering they carry in themselves. It's a separation. Mm.
0: Otherwise,
1: mm. it becomes too dualistic. Mm-hmm. But Maric, now I'm eager for um, Bhakti Rasa's quote. <laughs>
0: okay. She, she shared some a few, a few. We will read it later. All of them, they are online. But let me share one of them. She just shared one right now. She said a new one, she said, God gives us the freedom to consent. He requires it otherwise, like you are both saying, because of love. So that's something that she shared recently, but let's share the one that I had in mind. We may be going, regressing a little bit to our previous topic, but maybe we can go there before wrapping up today's conversation. So she's saying, too much, she's quoting something we mentioned some minutes ago, too much diversity without accompanying freedom. That might be the destructive form of chaos. Too many choices without the freedom to choose is anxiety created by modern culture. So many choices and no permission to choose within freedom. Mm. So that was one of the reflections that Baktrassa was mentioning in relation to too much diversity without freedom, too many choices without freedom, what to do in our particular situation, yeah.
1: I think this so, is a very natural development also in the gunas the more mm-hmm. a person is covered by tamas, mm-hmm. there is actually no freedom there is only uh, structures from the past acting and the more the mm-hmm. one is moving towards sattva and also towards devotion it becomes more freedom there mm-hmm. so Naturally, this is like this development of enlarging is, is coming. And I think I just want to take up one more little thought in my yeah. heart. There is uh, this, the more one turns to matter, like to mechanism, then everything is predictable. Sometimes mm. some people think... The whole universe is just matter and they suffer actually that everything is like predictable. There is no freedom anymore. Mm. There is no actual choice. So mm-hmm. you know, but the more one is going to the other extreme of a worldview of prema, of divine love, then everything is surprise at every moment, even for Radha and Krishna themselves. So it's like very interesting, even at the end of Bhagavad Gita, Sanjaya is saying, and he knows these basic philosophical thoughts, but he's mm-hmm. saying, it's mayate, Muhu Muhu. you know, I'm astonished at every moment again and again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, I would, so the more one is going to predict, to a predictable realm, to mechanism, mm-hmm. Slowly, slowly, the freedom is reduced. But the more mm. one is like moving towards the divine love, uh, then the more everything at every second is surprise, is like fascination. There is a, a term which I like very much. is t- It's called taste for mystery. Mm-hmm. So there's only a person who has freedom can work in that realm where everything is mystery. Mm. And, you know, recently I'm, many times I accompany people and devotees while dying. Mm And I, I was with one person dying. I didn't even know him. And then I asked the doctors on what he, did he die? And they say, in Germany, it's called Idiomatische Neuropathie, Idiomatic neuropathy, mm-hmm. And I didn't know what this means. So I looked in the dictionary, and it's written of unknown cause. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in this world, they have even very elaborate terminology for that they don't know. Because they don't <laughs> live with a taste for mystery. They have to have words very... That seems as they would know it, but actually it can be a taste for mystery at every second and every moment. And I, I, for me, this is a very natural aspect of of freedom. It's like Uh going Prima, the more I go towards Thomas, the more, the less is the freedom. Mm. The more I develop towards sattva, the more freedom is developed. What to speak if I go towards divine love? In prema, mm. everything is surprised at every moment, even for the Lord. Yeah. That's why it's so fascinating, even for Him.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Divine love moves in a crooked way like a snake. No, I love that line from Rupa Goswami. They're completely... Unexpected, as you mentioned, no? there is no, there's total, again, fascination. We are back to the path of fascination. So I, I I appreciate your, this concluding note you are mentioning on freedom and how freedom is can be such, can, freedom can be so free, so to say, that it gives place to uh, absolute unexpectedness and absolute charm and surprise for God himself at every mm. single moment. So that, that's the highest level of potential of freedom. Of course, we can talk about Mahaprabhu, Krishna himself relishing Radha's bhava. And that's again, surprise at every single moment. It's a bottomless ocean. And that's why the Lila has to continue forever because he's never touching the end of his surprise experience. Uh, like the symptoms of Anuragas Rupa Goswami describes, you now that Krishna and Krishna see each other and every time they feel first time they're meeting. Surprise! who is that beautiful girl? Uh, mm-hmm. Friana Armasakas will say, but you were with her five minutes ago. No, 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 I don't know who she is. I'm seeing her for the first time. <laughs> so it's difficult to grasp from our situation, but I've, in the connection of our discussion, that is showing the potential of freedom, how free you can be, that everything actually turns to, turns out to be ever new at every single moment even for God himself. So what to speak for us? What's, what to speak of the invitation we are called for in the land of radical freedom, no? Yeah. Uh-huh. And non-conformity as well, because to reach there we have to be, again, everything there is supremely free, but everything else is nonconformist in the sense that it's always constantly non-conforming to a certain settled way of doing things but it's non-conformist in the way the love itself, it's very movement of love is non-conformist. So we're creating new patterns. It's improvising on the spot, so to say, (laughs) with great genius. And everyone is adapting to that. Nobody's complaining. Nobody's like struggling for comfort zone. Like, oh, Krishna, you are playing the flute from so many different spots every day. Just be more predictable. Nobody's demanding that. That will be the end of the spiritual world. (laughs) So everyone is non-conformist in that sense. They are conforming to the unpredictable movement of love. So that's non-conformist. Yeah. <laughs> and and that, it has that, to be. Yeah. And
1: even his Sarvakyata, his all-knowing nature, has to be uh-huh. covered that is able to be surprised. You know, uh-huh. if a devotee would come and offer him something, say, I knew it already and I saw it since long time. <laughs> It would not be the same. And in yeah. the first chapter of Adi Lila, Krishna is even saying, I'm earnestly eager to meet Shimati Radhika and the gopis. But sometimes, kabu mile, kabu namile, Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. It's like not under his control. It's under the control, <laughs> the moving of the divine love he says daivera gatan it's like mm. the movement mm. of destiny that he mm. himself the absolute autocrat feels himself dependent of that so this is yeah. really the basis for fascination
0: yeah yeah god himself acknowledging there is a limitation in omniscience there is a limitation in omnipotence there are certain things i cannot taste if I remain Sarvagnata, as you say, so we need a further arrangement here, so to say. No, and that's where, of course, Yoga Maya will and the dynamics of Lila will make him Mukdata, in the words of Raguna or like bewildered to facilitate something that cannot be experienced otherwise. So yeah, it, it, it reminds me of this Jewish quote, which is sound kind of it's similar like to a koan, like this Zen koans, like a riddle. It says Try to think about a person who is omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. What does such a person lack? And someone may think, nothing, because he's omnipresent, omniscient. No, no, Hmm. he lacks limitation. He lacks that experience. So he needs to make some arrangement to also experience that. So he can really be Rasa He can be really the king of the tasters of everything. So we will say that in terms of limitation, he becomes... Again, mugdata, it seems to be a limitation, but actually it's facilitating a further experience, which, again, this is a paradox of of reality. God is omniscient and omnipotent, it seems there's no place for limitation, but that creates its own limitation in itself, (laughs) to be omniscient and omnipotent. So to solve that, he remains omniscient and omnipotent of one layer, but on a deeper layer becomes something else, not something less, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's how we conclude to the idea of Krishna being a killer, as Murti being the king of, of rasa, basically, you know, in order to taste everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, anyhow, uh, here Bhakti, Bhakti Rasa is sharing God's limits in love are limitless. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, <laughs> that, that's that's how it works. So anyhow, dear Krishna Chandra, we could continue here for hours and days and weeks and eons, and that's my hope. Kirtaniya Sadahari Satatam Kirtayantamam, Nityam Bhagavata Sivaya and so on. All these verses that tell us how sadhu sanga is about, you know, getting
1: together.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about that also. Chatur chatur slok the gita. Yeah. So so, so so that's the taste that we are having here, a taste of transcendence and a portal uh, of eternity. Now we are having given a glimpse of what we are supposed to do for the rest of forever. So I am feel very grateful, feel very blessed to have received that trailer today with you in this last hour and 45 minutes. Wow, already? I think we, yeah, yeah. That's that's also how time passes running when we are having great time. So, before concluding, I don't know, Krishna Chandra, if you have any concluding thoughts, something something you like to share, some whatever comes from your heart at this precise concluding moment.
1: Maraj, just um, a deep thought just pops up. First of all, um, this should be Vaishnava Sangha, you know, that one just sits together and enlightens. And <laughs> each other and brings up and some more point and it's more elaborated and one doesn't have any fear or reduction oh if i say this then i will be put in a box and restricted so this is such a wonderful exchange and in the very beginning of this conversation you brought up this verse of gita where at the end of gita when krishna as the only autocrat, as the only main teacher, as the only being that could expect anything from others. But he's not doing it. He's not using his position. And oh, after God. teaching so long, nearly 700 verses, he's just oh, saying, God. Oh, Arjuna, now you choose what you want and you think deeply on it. So this is a, a wonderful dynamic. But now just something is coming. Krishna is really reflecting. And then he's giving Krishna like a sign. Yes, I'm ready for this risk of freedom. I'm ready for this path of love. And just the neck, because Arjuna must have done given him a little sign... Krishna, it's not mentioned in Gita, but Mm -hmm. we can assume then actually Krishna is just saying the most, the deepest um, words of whole Gita. Very touching. He And only then he can reveal the deepest thing. When I offered something and you reflect and now he agreed out of his choice and only Mm -hmm. at that Moment he's allowed to continue speak, and he can mm-hmm. reveal the deepest thing of his heart. And Krishna is saying, "Shrinu me paramam vaja. Oh, Arjuna, now hear my paramam vaja. Hear clearly mm-hmm. the deepest instruction, the my deepest words. And he's saying, um, "Nishto This is very touching. Because mm-hmm. in this world we see some souls, they choose God and their Ishtadev, their most beloved Lord. But Krishna is saying, I choose you as my Ishtadev. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and this can only come because Arjuna made a choice. If mm-hmm. otherwise, this deepest secret of his heart. He could Mm -hmm. not. He could not share. And there's also just uh, besides that, there's some commentaries in Bhagavatam, like in the beginning of sixth canto, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: where um, Parikshi asks, "How can a soul be protected from really deep suffering?" And then Shukadev Goswami gives like wrong answers. He says, oh, yeah. by punya, by... Arma,
0: yeah.
1: Yes, you should just be a pious in this world. And Parikshit says, no, I cannot believe that. For me, this is useless. And mm-hmm. then he says, okay, you just, you know, do some prayaschita, you yeah. know, do some um, little penance. Yeah. I said, no, this is useless. And then Vishwanachari Thakur is commenting, if Parikshit would not have disagreed, by using his freedom in a spirit of openness, mm. Swami would not have continued speaking. So, and this is what we experience at the end of Gita. Yeah. Only yeah. because Arjuna really made the choice, then Krishna can say this Paramavaja, this deepest word, Oh Arjuna, Oh soul, yeah. I choose you as my Ishtadev.
0: Yeah. Or like at the very end, as we were talking in Switzerland, the very end of the ninth canto, when Parikshit asked Sukadev, "Can you tell me about Krishna's lila?" and Sukadev replies in two verses. <laughs> and if Parikshit wouldn't have used his freedom to disagree with that and say, "Please yeah. speak more in detail," we wouldn't have tenth cant of the Bhagavatam. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, we can see the value of, of freedom presented in in this particular context for further revelation for further inquiry. Or the same with Ramananda Sambad. No Mahaprabhu asking Ramananda, tell me something. He says something, say, Ego Bahi kahar. That's superficial. Go for augment the truth. I disagree. I'm using my freedom to disagree. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that takes us to to the highest possible limit. So so that's yeah, I really appreciate what you are sharing about how the deepest secrets, the deepest jewels in the ocean can be only discovered. But by a use of voluntary immersion, so to say, continue with the ocean analogy, voluntary immersion in the ocean of, of freedom, basically. No? Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for that, Krishna Chandra Prabhu. I really will love to conclude on this hike note that you have shared with us. And very happy to be sharing with you again. Very happy to see you there in your Bajan kutir in the mountains there. Uh, very beautiful place, always longing. One of my many uh, close homes to my heart around the planet, one one of the main ones, it's in the top five, I can tell for sure <laughs> uh, And since I mentioned Anandadham i like to again share for those who have not been connected before, if someone may like to somehow connect further with Krishna Chanda Prabhu and know more about his message and teachings uh, here is the website of Anandadham, it's ananda-dham dot com hmm? anandadham dot Come. so again thank you so much for you thank you so much for everyone connected today we are concluding our episode and next saturday we'll be meet again this will be the last meeting probably of the whole year let's see because then comes kartik and i will be out of social media totally and out of this podcast and after that i may continue a little bit with uh, some retreat from certain dynamics uh while being in india and maybe concentrating more on writing and other projects so let's see let's see maybe i I may continue in december with some episodes i'm still deciding but probably next saturday may be the last one from this each this year at least season one of the free radical podcast and next saturday which is october 21st at the same time which was a different one from usual the same time as this one 8 a.m edt time I will be interviewing a dear dear friend of mine, Namrasa Prabhu, who somehow is my podcast acharya. He was one of the first ones telling me to start the podcast. So we will be talking next uh, Saturday on the topic of the heart of community life. That will be the main topic for next Saturday, which is, of course, quite connected to many things we have touched today. So see you there thank you so much to everyone for having connected and thank you so much krishna chandra Prabhu, for blessing us with your you. presence wisdom and heart. Jai, jai <laughs>